Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, happy birthday to my wife. Aww. It's her birthday today. You were saying you were gonna you were gonna sing a song for her. I so didn't say that. You were talking about Boys to Men or Brian McKnight. Let's let's hear it. They'd both be good options, but what? not for the podcast. Like a, come on, just do it, man. One no. time, one time. Nope, not gonna do I it. I know you want to. No, she doesn't want me to do that Amanda either. Amanda would be thrilled. No, it would embarrass her. I know my wife. I know my wealth wife well enough. <laughs> wealth. I know, I know my, my wealth well we, we enough. I think she would be so honored. No, nope. she would save this podcast for her whole life. No. Nope. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. But I do love her and I'm thankful for her and her life. And today's her birthday. So happy birthday, Amanda. Happy birthday, Amanda. Yeah. Way to be, what do they call the pastor's wife? The first, the (laughs) way to be be born. Glad you chose to be alive. The first lady. First lady of Compass Bible Church North Texas. (laughs) Yikes. Does she get a crown or some kind of cool like jacket? She gets a throne. A throne. No, she doesn't. All right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm grateful for her. So we're going to celebrate her birthday and her and uh, yeah, just thankful for her. She's awesome. That's right. Anyone else's birthday? It's Pranit's birthday. Yeah. Uh, I hear there's a birthday party coming for Pranit. Yes, I heard that too. That's going to be exciting. Yes, I think so. Should be awesome. We are thankful for our people, um, young and old. That's so, right. Yeah. And everyone in between. Yeah. Not implying that my wife is old. <laughs> I just realized that. Because <laughs> Pranit the, is young. Cradle to the grave. Yeah. No, that's okay, man. Hey, we're not, we're not, we're not young bucks anymore. No, we're not. I think it's okay to acknowledge that. We're not. But uh, yeah, no, but she keeps me young. So. And you guys feel so young. Does that, does, that makes a difference. You guys feel young. It does. Like you got, well, both of you together have like this vibe. Uh, I, I feel like you're the, one of the trendiest guys I know. <laughs> Thanks man. You and Amanda just have this young, youthful, like vigor. Yeah. Well, it's the, I'll send you the products we use later. <laughs> <laughs> and the sweater vests and all the cool things. Dude, I, literally on a walk with her this past weekend, <laughs> it was cold. And I was like, I almost get to wear sweaters to preach in. Dude, I was coming. so excited. I know. I can't wait to see him. Yeah. I, I'm going to take pictures of every single one. You better <laughs> yep. believe it. Yep. Well, it's going to happen. All it's right. going to happen. I look forward to it. Hey, you know what else is going to happen? What we started yesterday. And that is Isaiah 43. Because we finished what we started. We're going to f- we're not fill up, up what was lacking in our Bible reading afflictions <laughs> yesterday. Yesterday. Wow. No, we are going to be in Isaiah 43, though. For real. Here we go. For real. Actually, this time. Yeah. Well, um, hey, Isaiah 43. Uh, It's the comfort because Israel needed salvation, and here is the Savior. And again, fear not is the theme there because I have redeemed you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you because verse three, I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's like deja vu. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, but hey, a couple of themes that I think emerge here and uh, and also in chapter 44, um, two themes that I want you to pay attention to as you read. The first is look for the word witnesses. Um, we don't often think of Israel as an evangelistic nation because we so often associate that with the church. Right. And yet God saved Israel and notice you'll pick up on that here uh, to be his witnesses. We find that like, for instance, in verse 10, you are my witnesses today declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen. Mm. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to redeem you to be my witnesses. Why do you witness? What are we witnessing about? We're witnessing about the greatness of God and his deliverance to the nations around them. Yes. So that he would receive the glory, but also because God wanted them to be a light among the nations. He wanted them to be an evangelistic people. 
And so they're saved to be witnesses. Verse 12, again, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Um, and so that that's one theme. The theme of, of Israel is the witnesses of God. The second theme to pay sure. attention to is the the allusions to the Exodus. Because I've been seeing those all over. Yeah. God's picking up language about delivering the people, especially through the wilderness, which we're going to read about in this chapter in verses 19 down through 21. He's going to be talking about the wilderness. He's going to be talking about water. He's going to be talking about giving drink to his people there. The Exodus, we for us, it's, it's a big deal as it relates to the flannel boards and things like that that you grew up with maybe in, in Sunday school class. And we think about that and we think about Moses and we think about all that stuff. It's a big deal to us, but it was a massive deal to Israel. It was the defining salvation event undeniably undeniably and so isaiah is alluding to and the people would have picked up on this that there's going to be another exodus there's going to be another redemption on that scale that would have been huge for them biblical theology kind of picks up a lot of these things too i mean uh, and obviously i'm not saying theology that is biblical i'm talking about this the field of study called biblical theology picks up on things like that so i mean jesus himself is a new moses who leads a people out of israel Uh, jesus himself is in many respects the the anti-type to Israel. He's right. the one who who succeeds where Israel fails. There's so many cool things like that in scripture. But in particular here, as we read in Isaiah 43 and 44, there's lots of allusions to the Exodus, which you would do well to pay attention to. One thing I think is really cool in verse seven, uh, let me start at verse six here. Jesus, uh, God, Jesus isn't here yet. But God says, I'm bringing my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. Look at this. Here we go whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God wants to save them. God wants to re- restore them and and to, to bring them back into the homeland for the purposes of his own glory. Again, we see the, the majesty of God. We see God being exalted and man being humbled. Mm. They're being brought together for his sake. You and I are saved for his sake. We're created for his glory. Yep. Yeah. Super cool. Super cool thought. Verse 22, we see another kind of this flashback to the reminder of the problem facing Judah. And it is there, yet you did not call upon me, Jacob. You've been weary of me, Israel. You have burdened me, verse 24, with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. But, verse 25, I'm the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. What a a great promise that is. It's a promise that we get to hold on to as well as the the church because of the cross, because of Christ, because of the gospel, Um, that God has blotted out our transgressions. What an amazing, amazing reality that is. One that's, that's quite honestly hard to fathom at times. I think we are are wired naturally to carry around guilt and condemnation Mm -hmm. um, for things in the past. And I I think we see this, I think we see a a struggle even from Paul in this. When Paul gives us the glimpse into his heart, when he says, man, I'm the, the chief of sinners of whom I'm the foremost, right? Right. I think when Paul looked back at who he was before Christ, I think there was a very keen awareness of his sinfulness and uh, rebellion against the Lord. And uh, this is just an amazing thought that God blots out our sins and our transgressions, Um, new creations in Christ, but not just in that one moment. Like I preached on recently, it's not just that God brought us back to square one with him through the cross, Mm. but that all of our sins our, our future sins, the sins we haven't committed yet, those sins blotted out because of the cross. Amazing. And on top of that, the reason he has the reason you don't need to feel guilt and shame is because he did that for his sake. It's not for your sake. Right. He does it for his sake. Verse right. 25. It's for his sake, which means that it is, it is more binding than binding. It is like uber bounded. <laughs> it is impossible <laughs> to undo because right. he does it for his glory. So God would not mitigate his glory and honor to bring, to bring your sin to bear on your life. Yeah. He forgave it. He blotted it out for his sake, yeah. which means his glory is on the line. If he were to renege on that, yep. therefore he never will. Yep. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Super good. 
Super good. Well, in chapter 44, we get uh, more allusions to the Exodus in more language dealing with Israel as the servant in verse one. In verse two, again, Israel as the servant there. Who's Jeshurun? Jeshurun. In verse two, it says, fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Sounds like he's, they're the same person. Jeshurun. Is that like a cute nickname? <laughs> what are your thoughts on Jeshurun? <laughs> I think it's a trans, uh, it's, it's, a, it's close to what the actual word is, and it means upright ones. It's kind of an ironic, like, hey, you're not upright, but I'm going to call you upright ones because I'm going to make you that. Yeah. Yeah. Your Faith Life Study Bible, if you use that, says it's a poetic name for Israel found otherwise only in two poems attributed to Moses, Deuteronomy 32 and 33. Yeah, I think it points to their future righteousness. Yeah, likely means upright one. Yeah. Oh, well, I thought it was plural. Maybe I was wrong about that. I guess, yeah, that's that's fine. Jacob, singular. Jeshurun would be singular as well. But Verse, there you go. Just thought you might want to note that. For, that's helpful. For those who are reading. Yeah, totally. Verse three and four. Uh, verse three in particular, I quoted on Sunday in the sermon or alluded to on Sunday in the sermon because of the concept of the necessity, necessity, there's a word, of being born of both water and the spirit. And the concept of water in the Old Testament had the, the notion of being life-giving. And here's a, an example of that. When, when God says, I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings upon your descendants. So there you have water and the spirit uh, related to, to God's deliverance of his people there in the old testament concept jesus in talking with nicodemus is going to tell nicodemus hey you need to be born of both water and the spirit uh, which ultimately is an allusion i think to the new covenant language and in, in the language of of uh, the prophetic promises to ezekiel of a new heart that god is going to put within us mm-hmm. but um, we see other allusions to uh, similar concepts in the old testament as well in isaiah 44 and that's rich and that's rich I yeah mean, th- th- we're talking about that quickly but there's a lot to say there so do your do your research yes yes Absolutely. Uh, Verse six uh, is interesting. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts is what the ESV says. The Lord is the King of Israel. The Lord is the King of Israel, but also in his redeemer. Who's the his referring to there? Mm. Because I think we, with our new Testament eyes, read that and go, okay, well the Lord and his redeemer, this is Jesus. Um, But it's, probably more likely uh, just him continuing to, to describe himself, Yahweh going through the, his his names there. I don't think he's specifically separating out uh, his redeemer here. I don't think it fits contextually with what Isaiah would do. Isaiah would refer to the, the servant as the Messiah there. Is it wrong to see that, that this is referring to Jesus participating in this as well? No, and, and Jesus is ultimately the king of kings as he appears in Revelation. So is he the one that's in view? It's possible, if not likely, that he's the one in view. But I think his redeemer there, as other translations will translate it, its redeemer uh, is, is hearkening back to Israel as the object of his there rather than th- uh, this referencing back to, to God as the possessor of the redeemer being Jesus in that instance tracking cool um, anyways fear not again verse 8 be not afraid haven't I told you from of old and declared it are you not my here's the theme again witnesses right again this idea that we are looking for Israel as the witness for God and then there's this interlude where God just goes off on idolatry in idols <laughs> and he points out the folly and the futility of it and just the stupidity of it he's like you're cutting down a tree you're using half of that log to warm yourself and to bake your your cookies and then half of it you're falling down and you're worshiping and yeah, saying deliver me bad. yeah like how how stupid can it be right um and, and yet, 2 Corinthians 4, it's sensical to them because their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. And so it makes sense to them because their eyes 
have been because they're lost because verse 18 they know not nor do they discern he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts so they cannot understand again isaiah 6 there's the fulfillment of the isaiah 6 prophecy mm. i'm going to send you and they're not going to see and they're not going to listen to you right and so here it is again right there the the ongoing fulfillment of isaiah 6 in the life of the the prophecy of isaiah can't help but see warnings here too again for israel i mean granted he's, he's describing truth a scathing rebuke against those who pursue idolatry but it's it's him basically pleading with them please trust me know that i am the way the truth and the life to, to kind of steal from john chapter 14 right i mean he's even telling them in the, in the passages uh, in the verses before is there a god besides me there is no rock i don't know of anyone else guys i'm the first and the last besides me there's no god i'm the one trust me follow me right right Right. And in fact, in verse 21, he says as much. He says, remember these things, O Jacob. Yeah, don't forget it. Yeah. We need, to, we need a reminder. Yeah. I formed you. You're my servant. There's the servant language again. I blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. I've redeemed you. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, verse 23, and will be glorified in Israel. Uh, thus says the Lord, your redeemer, who formed you from the womb. Um, that, that Israel was uh, the, the product of God's creation and God's forming. He, he took a people and made, he took Abraham and made a people uh, from him when there was no people. The irony, uh, those who are uh, idol makers, they form the idol. God formed them. His people, yeah. yeah. Which is the way it's supposed to work. Yep. Further anticipating the deliverance that he was going to work for them, verse 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill my purpose. Uh, again, a, a reminder of the sovereignty of God over the affairs of the nations, over the rulers of the nation. We talked about that. Just the, the humble reminder that God is sovereign over those that are in, a, in political office and in political power. And they're not there accidentally. It's not like God wakes up on any election morning and is like, oh no, what happened? Yeah. Um, I'm going to protest this. <laughs> he knows exactly what's going on and he put them there for his purposes, purposes that we don't, we're not privy to. Inscrutable um, purposes. Yeah. Purposes that we need to, to trust he is aware of and he is working. Which doesn't imply or suggest in any way that we take a back seat and passively allow things to take place. Right. I don't think that's the response either. Nope. We do seek the good of the, the people that we live among, the nation that we live in. Uh, but when God makes declarations, the inescapable declarations that we are not able to change like a presidential election or, or even a senatorial election or any kind of a house representatives, that, that kind of thing. Uh, we don't, we can't control those things, but we can seek to do good. And yeah. scripture is replete with admonitions to that end. Yep. Yeah. Colossians chapter two. Let's do it. Colossians two. I didn't go to Isaiah 45 today because that's tomorrow's reading. Yeah, weird that we even say that. Do we do that ever? It's happened like once. Oh. Yeah. A long yesterday long ago. Long time ago. Yeah. Hey, um, Paul's continuing here to uh, set up the letter, and uh, he's just talked about we're proclaiming Christ the, in order to prevent, pre- prevent, prevent? everyone no present everyone mature in christ <laughs> that would be a problem um, to prevent you from becoming mature we don't want you to be that yeah that their hearts may be encouraged he's just going on in this encouragement here um, and he calls christ the uh, god's mystery which is christ uh, verse three in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge Ooh. it sounds gnostic it it does which is not yeah, and that's that's what's interesting, right? Because Gnosticism, which is this view that that the physical body is bad, that the spiritual is good. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a dualistic view that sees matter is bad in in the the spiritual or the the immaterial as good. Um, the problem is Gnosticism didn't really burst on the scene until the second or third century, late second, third century A.D. That that's post what Paul's writing here. Yeah, this is well before the 
the formal arrival of Gnosticism, although seeds of it had been planted all throughout. It's kind of like there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. So it's not like it wasn't ever there, but to be in its formulation that we understand it to be, not not during the time of this letter. Right. And and yet what they were up against, like Pastor Rod was just saying, is there were there were threats to the true gospel that were, and this is what comes out later in the, in Colossians where people were claiming uh, these mystery religions where they had access to a special degree of knowledge that was exterior to what they were being taught in the churches and what was being circulated around in the scriptures. And so Paul's writing to them to say, look, Christ is the one. Not Christ plus. Right. Just Jesus. Yeah. Jesus alone. Yeah. Christ alone. And then he goes on to uh, warn against being taken captive by such philosophies in empty deceit, as he refers to it here, uh, according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world, instead of holding fast to Christ for in him, the whole fullness of bodily deity or deity <laughs> dwells bodily. Um, That's huge. The whole fullness, whole fullness. of deity yeah. dwells bodily in Christ. Yeah. Can't say that about any person. Nope. No, nor should Jesus. you. Yeah. Yeah, and then he he goes on to sing the praises of Christ and in our union with him, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Is this water baptism? Is this not water baptism? I think this is spirit baptism at work here, that when we are saved, we are united with him in a baptism like his, in a death like his, as Paul calls it in Romans chapter six, mm-hmm. in which we're also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God. So there's the death and resurrection that takes place as we are made new creations in, in Christ um, through our union with Christ. And then there's the amazing passage that talks about us being dead in our trespasses and sins. And then he took that record of debt. One of my favorite images of the gospel here is, is found in Colossians too, that the record of debt that, that stood against us, he took it canceled. and set it aside, canceled it, mm. nailing it to the cross. Just that awesome, powerful picture that, that our debt was paid. It leaves no doubt where our debt was paid. Our debt was paid at the cross of Christ for yeah. us. Uh, our sins have been forgiven. And we are, are, are now right with God as a result of that. What an amazing, amazing reality that is. Preach it. And then he goes on again to return to this idea of, of trying to find some asceticism, which was this denial of, of physical pleasures and urges uh, that even discipline the body, punish the body. Because again, the, the body's bad. The, the, the physical is bad. The spiritual is what is good in, in, pulsing it don't buy into these things don't buy into the observance of certain holidays and in religious feast days remember your sufficiency is in christ christ is all you need it's not jesus plus and that's where he's he's arguing here so is verse 16 the reason why we ignore one of the ten commandments about honoring the sabbath and keeping it holy i wouldn't say verse 16 is the entire reason why we don't honor the sabbath or or keep the sabbath i I think when we look at the um i was just reading about this recently when we look at the the old testament uh and we look at the decalogue the ten commandments uh the sabbath is really the only one that jesus um redefined is not the right word but uh but repointed and we see a lot of that in the book of hebrews when the writer of hebrews says there's a sabbath rest that yet awaits for us and the sabbath rest that we anticipate now is not a day that we observe but eternity and so the writer of hebrews even says to us while there yet remains a sabbath for us to enter into so that's a a future anticipation we need to uh to strive to 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 not fall short um so that no one would fail to uh, appear to have reached it so Christ is the, the fulfillment of the Sabbath and, and the full reality of that is going to be when we are in, in eternity with him. So the, the Old Testament command to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy, uh, I think was ultimately pointing to and anticipating 
the, the rest that we have secured for us in Christ, um, it's a reflecting back on the rest that God observed when he rested during his creative activity, but it was also forward looking to the rest that's going to be ours in eternity with Christ. Christ came his death and resurrection. Now he's fulfilled the Sabbath and that that's a future that we have with him. Is it wrong for us to Sabbath? No, but it looks different for us now. It's, it's not a, a rote daily or weekly. We have to observe it on Sunday every single day and you can't work and you can't carry sticks and you can't do all of these things. Um, there are some that still observe those. I mean, there's, 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 a, 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 there's a, a cult that is uh, out there that, that would still observe the Sabbath quite religiously and say, this is, it's on Saturday. And if it's not on Saturday, then you're doing it wrong and, mm-hmm. and you're in error and, and you're not a believer, which is why I would push it to, to cult like status is they're adding to the gospel and they're perverting the gospel of seventh day Adventists in their um, strict uh, requirements regarding Sabbath worship. We don't hold to the same principles. So in addition to verse 16, we would say that scripture gives us every reason to believe that this is an already and not yet situation where Christ has been. Now Christ is, is our Sabbath rest. He fulfills it. And we long for the day when he will be our full and complete Sabbath rest where he uh, kind of in, brings us into the full experience of what that means. You're also saying that taking a Saturday off or taking a Sunday off is not sin. That's still a good right. practice that we should engage in, uh, but it's not law. If we want to take off a Tuesday instead of a Sunday, we could do that. Right. Right. Is there any, I know for Israel, the, the Sabbath day was a worship day. It was meant to be set aside for the purposes of worship and of community, I suppose. Is there any, I don't know, spiritual significance to our day off today? now in Christ as New Testament believers? In other words, I mean, hypothetically, could, could I skip it and, and feel no shame for that? Could I, I mean, I know God sets the example of ceasing his work on the seventh day and resting. Uh, are Christians supposed to rest as a matter of spiritual discipline? Is there anything wrong with skipping my days off in order to work especially hard for a certain season of life? Or is there any kind of uh, spiritual warnings you would give for not taking rest days as a regular practice? Yeah. MacArthur, not long ago, and I can't remember the the exact name of the sermon that he preached, but he preached on the concept of sleep. And this is all connected and I'll bring it back Um, because the concept of of how do you sleep with so much to do and so many needs on your, your plate, how can you sleep at night? And he talked about the healthy expression of dependence upon God that we exercise when we sleep at night, when we lay down and go to sleep, we're not in control. Um, I mean, our, our, yes, our brains are, our, our bodies are continuing to keep our bodies functioning, but everything, all of our responsibilities, we're, we're setting them down, so to speak, and climbing to bed and closing our eyes and sleeping. And we are exercising dependence upon God that he's got those things, so to speak. And so I think with this concept of, of taking a Sabbath rest or resting each week in some capacity is important to us because it is in and of itself an expression of worship of, of the Lord, because we are exercising dependence upon him. We are trusting him saying, God, I have things that I need to get done, but I'm going to set those things down intentionally right now to rest and trust that this is important because I'm not God. I don't have unending energy. I don't have limitless wisdom. I need to recharge. I need to, to, to have that reset so that I can go back and do things with excellence when I go back to, to be able to do them again. So I think there's an element of, yes, there are going to be seasons wherein maybe you have a week or two weeks where you're working particularly hard or you've got something that needs to be done and, and you, you don't take the day off that you normally take. But I don't think we should make a habit of that because I think it's easy for us to develop a godlike complex that would say, man, I'm necessary in this equation. And if I don't show up to do everything that I need to get to, to do, then the job's not going to get done. And this is going to be a failure. I mean, nothing, nothing at the end of the day depends on us. 
it, it all depends on him. And for us to be able to push pause and say, okay, I'm going to rest and rest intentionally with, with God as my, my focus during this and, and to thank him for this rest time and, and to use it well is an exercise of dependence upon him and, and it can be an, an act of worship. It's interesting too that we probably need to elaborate just a little bit. I understand our time is creeping up here. When we talk about rest, we, we don't necessarily mean the cessation of all activity. Right. Rest can be can look like taking an eight-mile hike you right. know, in, in the fresh country air. Rest can look like uh, working on the lawn. Rest can look like taking the kids to a theme park or doing something very active that yeah. looks like the opposite of rest, but that can be restful. Is there anything you'd want to say to, to our church about what rest is and how to practically apply that week to week? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you just said a lot of it. it. It's it doesn't mean that you're in your easy chair with your legs up, and uh, although that could be, it it could be, it could be restful too. Yeah, a hundred percent. But um, yeah, it's going to look different for you at, at different seasons. And in resting for you dads who are are working, you know, fifty hours a week behind a desk, behind a desk might mean looking like spending time active with your family, right? Um, it, or you're a construction you know, worker. If you're a construction worker, maybe it is your body needs to recuperate and, and you're reading. You need to sit in an ice bath <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, and read a book at the same time. I mean, I'm glad there's no ice baths in ministry. You know what? There's actually a place down the block from here that yeah. actually does uh, cold therapy. You go do it. Let's do it. No, you go do it. <laughs> let, let us do it. You, you go do it. Yeah. So rest is, uh, there's, there's freedom. Um, there's liberty, if That's I can helpful. use that word, yeah. in how you rest. It's just a matter of that we need to rest. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Well, hey, join us again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Bye, y'all. Happy birthday, Amanda. And for <laughs> Sing me. to her. Happy birthday. Bye. Sing. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.